Hello and welcome to YHTV's Trinity of Life. I'm Christina Suzuma, your host for this program. Today we have with us a very special individual. He is so special to all of us here at the Yoga Hub team. He has been with us since the very beginning of Yoga Hub, and he is with us today with a, in a different space and time. Um, and in Yoga Hub, we were very honored to produce um, his yoga DVD, The Gift of Yoga, which many of you may have experienced. And if you haven't, I would suggest and recommend that you do, because it's just a wonderful, wonderful DVD for beginners and advanced as well, um, to get you right in the mood and flow of yoga and take the fear out of yoga for some of you. So today um, with me, as I said, is our dear friend and colleague, John Sovet. Hi, John. <laughs> hey, it's so good to be back. It's wonderful just staying in the Yoga Hug family. I really, really just have such a great time with you guys. And we miss you. And now we can squeeze you back into our show, which we, as you very well know, from day one of Yoga Hub was one of our visions and dreams. And here you are back again. <laughs> I know. It's a lot of fun. And it's really been cool watching the, the progress and the growth of Yoga Hub and watching your ideas and your dreams manifest and through a lot of hard work. But you guys have really just created such an amazing space here. Thank you, John. And, you know, and, and really... Um, what we do at Yoga Hub, I mean, we, we wouldn't be able to do it without individuals like you. Because, you know, the gifts in your expertise. And from when we first met you, which was in the world of yoga, that's, that's really where we met. And, and that's where we really collaborated. To now, this whole world of therapy and healing, it is, which you, know, you very well know, is, is really the love of my world, yeah. is, is helping people create balance in life. Um, and... I have been just egging to get you on the show, and I was, we're so honored. Everyone was so excited to know that, John, it's going to be John. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm really excited to share this with you, too. I mean, the thing is, is we first met through yoga, which for me has been a lifelong passion, um, and I will never, ever leave the yoga world. But it's been really beautiful watching the mix of adding my yoga world, my spiritual belief systems all come together now as a therapist and a counselor. And it's been an incredible journey for me. And just watching it all marry and come together in really exciting ways that I never imagined. And even this is such an opportunity to come back. It was all about yoga, and now there's just so much more on the plate. I think that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is really cool. Um, and what really excites me about the work that you're doing now, John, I mean, all your work has been very exciting. But right now, you know, I have been being a mother, of a young child. Um, I have always loved children and very passionate about how they develop, how they become these beautiful human beings, and um, how to support them. Because I believe that, you know, it's 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 quite a journey that each of us take as individuals. And if we can really do our best as parents, um, as family members. Um, as a society, to nurture our young as they go through these very trying times in their lives, um, it's, it's, it's really the foundation. And so the work that you have been doing has just been captivating me. So 
that's why you're here today, because we'd so love for you to share that. Absolutely. Well, what happened for me is I have always been passionate about working with kids. Um, I have had a life where kids tend to find me and follow me around. If we're at a family gathering, where will all the kids be? They'll be playing with Uncle John <laughs> over in the family room. And so I've always had this really strong passion and connection with kids. And it's been really fascinating in my journey in becoming a therapist to take this connection. And although I don't work with little ones, I do specialize in working with teenagers. And the way that came about is when I was um, getting my education, there were some really inspiring teachers who specialized in working with like high school age kids. Mm -hmm. And I just connected with them on a very deep level. And they were very open and willing to offer me a lot of personal training and mentoring. And then in my, um, we go through an internship where we have to do a lot of practice under the care of a supervisor. Mm. During that process, I actually ended up working in the high schools in Burbank, which is uh, out in the valley here in California. And that gave me an opportunity to really understand how much working with teens meant to me. Mm. And opportunities to just hear their world and understand what they're going through. Mm. Um, from there, I just continued on with my education, worked with a lot of really amazing people. And now in my personal practice um, as a therapist, I do specialize in working with teenagers. And even more so, I'm specializing now in working with gay and lesbian teens and their families during the coming out process. Yeah. Oh, yes. And, you know, it, I, I mean, I, I remember moments for myself as a teenager and and how it was so difficult for family members to understand where I was coming from. You're just trying to find your roots, you're trying to find your independence, who am I, what are, you know, it's, it is a really, it's, it's almost like that, what I call this five-year-old stage that my son's going through. You know, it's where they're, they're finally in school and they're adjusting to, you know, from a preschool of maybe 30 kids to, you know, this, this bigger school of uh, like 650, and finding their independence where they belong. And, and as a family, to adjust to that, I remember as a teenager, it was really hard for me. It was really hard. You know, and it's interesting you bring that up because that's one of the things that I think is really important for any parent of teens to really think about. Remember what it was like for you. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times I'll have families come in and they'll talk about, my teen's going through this, my teen's going through that. And the thing that I often try to remind them of but do you remember back when you were a teen, you actually went through a lot of these very same things yourself. And sometimes getting a parent in touch with that actually opens a lot of channels for them to be more present with their teen as they're parenting. Mm -hmm. So they're not scared of my teen's going through something, I don't understand it. Mm -hmm. Like, oh yeah, I remember when I was a teenager, I had a really bad day and I went to my room and didn't say anything to anybody all day. And I remember what that felt like, you know, being a little bit rejected or feeling, you know, out of sorts. And if a parent can remember that, it can really help them connect with their teen and be able to talk to them on a very real level. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. That, yeah, I remember those moments. <laughs> Ooh. If we're, all, if we're all honest, we all have had some of those moments. Moments where we felt really popular and like we were part of the in crowd. Mm -hmm. Moments where we felt a little bit darker or depressed or felt like we weren't part of the crowd. Um, moments of absolute connection, moments of absolute loneliness. Oh, yeah. And I think every teen has gone through that. And if we as adults working with teens or as a parent of a teen can connect with that, mm. we can offer so much more understanding to these kids as they're going through it themselves. 
Do you find that uh, um, quite often when you do work with families of teens that that it's very difficult for the parent to admit or go back to that time? Because I, I, I speak to some people and it's almost like that was a time that they absolutely shut out of their lives. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, that must have been traumatic. <laughs> well, I think for me, when I share that with him, it's more about to try and create an understanding of where their teen might be at. Mm -hmm. To say it's a journey a lot of us have gone through. But I don't want to force a parent to try and do what I do, you know? So by bringing them to the room, it allows us to even out the playing field a little bit. But then I'll work with the teen individually and really create a space where they can be heard. The one thing I find happens for a lot of teenagers is that there are a lot of people who want to tell them who they're supposed to be. Whether it's a teacher, even a well-meaning teacher, a school administrator, a parent, a grandparent, coaches, there are lots of people in their lives who are telling them who and what they should be. And what I try and do is create and invite a space where they can look at who do I want to be? How do I want to be in this world? What are the thoughts I'm having that I haven't been able to connect with or speak out loud? What are the pieces of myself that I want to grow? What are the pieces of myself that I'm really scared of? Mm -hmm. And creating that space where I'm not telling them who to be, but letting them find their own way there. I think that is, that is like so powerful what you just said. Because I hear already now the way um, some people do speak to my own child, mm -hmm. which is, oh, you're so good at that. This is what you're going to be. Mm -hmm. And I look up and go, wow, that's an assumption. <laughs> you know, I go, that's an assumption. It's like it's almost not allowing the individual to empower themselves and see what they're good at. But they're being told. But I would imagine in that experience, if you really listen to it, the person is well-meaning. Oh, yes. You're yes. so good at this. This is what you should do. But that may not be the passion that your teenager has. That may not be what your kid really wants. It's a skill they have, but it may not be everything about them. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really easy to get caught up in those kind of constructs. You know, you're good at math. You should be this. You're good at science. You should be this. You're good at art. You should be this. Why can't a kid have an opportunity to taste and discover all of those things and then find for themselves what path they want to take, mm. you know? And in that process, I think it's really important, too, for parents to let their kids flow through stuff. Mm. Mom, I want to play piano. Okay, you're playing piano. About a year and a half in. I'm not sure about piano anymore. I paid for all those piano lessons. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, stick to it. <laughs> putting so much pressure on. But what about giving the freedom to say, like, okay, well, if we take piano out, what would you like to try instead? I'd like to try horseback riding. Okay, if we do that, you know, what's your commitment to it? But opening up those dialogues so it's not a punishment-based, you're going to stick with this because I tell you to, but if you're going to leave this, what is it you want to explore next? And I think that's a really, really vital dialogue that a parent can have with their teenager. That's a really nice point, John. Um, yeah, I, I believe that we get caught in the flow of life and work and and everything that we do forget the conversations we we that the communication I mean, the skill of communication that's a man that's a, a, a tough one to keep reminding yourself of when when we're busy i mean now moms and dads are working now um you know i'm very immersed in a very blue collar uh community right now um that you know don't have a lot of time mm -hmm. 
But I don't think it's necessarily always about a lot of time. It's about focus time. Mm. Um, I'm sure any parent who has a teenager, and you're going to face this in a little while, I'm just going to warn you, (laughs) is going to know the famous conversation, what do you do today? Nothing. Okay. Oh, no, we get that now. Oh, okay. (laughs) You've already got it. Okay. The way that I work with it as a therapist, and I do have the advantage of being not of not being the parent, but actually being this other entity. What I get to do is say, well, the, is it that you actually didn't do anything today, or is it that you don't have the words to express what you did today, or is it that you don't actually want to share with me what you did today? Mm-hmm. So that this word nothing, which most parents see as a cutoff point, actually, if you just kind of play with the word and massage it a little bit, allows place for a little bit of expression to happen. And it doesn't have to be that you guys spend the whole evening together around the kitchen table chatting. I think it is important for parents to make sure as they connect into their kids' day, Mm -hmm. to notice what's happening, to be there when they have questions, to be willing to answer their concerns, to be as open and honest as you feel is appropriate for the level of maturity you see your teen to be at. Um, Can you describe some of the cases that... um you might have that I, I don't want to say common, but that you know parents tend to run into quite often um, because you also do group work with your teens as well. Um, so I'm I'm sure you hear so much coming around. Everyone's story is different, of course. But is there like a through line that you see with these kids? with these teens, <laughs> and what age group, so we can all prepare. <laughs> well, I wouldn't want to necessarily just put it into a specific age group, because kids do mature at different ages. And I think it's important to recognize that, especially when you have a sibling group. If you have a brother and a sister, and they're developing differently, to really be understand that they are not identical in their maturity levels, and to be willing to explore that and be comfortable with the differences that are going on. Some of the common things that go on, you know, if if I really, like, tease it out of you a little bit, it will be a lot of the same things, a lot of relational issues. You know, that person likes me, they don't like me, my best friend and I are fighting, and now I feel like I'm all alone. Um, the idea of learning the dance of courtship. <laughs> I mean, I have adults who come in and they're still trying to figure out that dance. But imagine you're a teenager Hormones are racing, your body's changing, you don't understand all the feelings you're having and trying to create and develop this feeling of, of how, do I, how do I mate with someone? How do I connect with someone? How do I create that love bond with somebody? Mm-hmm. And that's a big one for a lot of kids. They don't know how to do it. And the challenge is, is a lot of parents find it really hard to have that conversation with their kids. Mm-hmm. It's a really, it's a hard conversation sometimes. It never gets easier. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's as easy as you make it. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing I encourage a lot of parents to do. Um, If you are in a relationship and you and your partner, you know, are still together and on board, I think it's important for you guys to have conversations yourself to talk about how are we going to share with our child? Mm -hmm. How are we going to tell them of our experiences? If we have drug use in our past, are we going to share openly that we did that as a kid? Are we going to talk about what it was like for us finding a partnership or having sex for the first time? Are we going to be open about those things? For the parents to dialogue together so that they actually have a combined point of view that they're coming from about what they want to share with their teens. Mm, thank you. That is a, a, a wonderful point. And again, it's back to communication, isn't it? You know, communication between the parents first so that it doesn't 
collide in front of the child, right? Because, I mean, okay, I had a brother, and we both knew how to play our parents to get what we wanted out of them. And I think anyone can talk about how to play their parents when we were kids. We knew how to do it, okay? And so for the parents to really make sure their community to stay on board with their point of view and what's important to them can really make it easier for their teenager as well. Okay, parents, you know. <laughs> I'll offer one more thought about the communication piece. What I find is that when I create a space where kids feel comfortable to talk, they have amazing things to share. They really do. They have brilliant questions they're thinking about. They have intriguing philosophies and points of view that have never crossed my mind, and they bring them in, and we, I'm just like, that is so cool. Right. And creating those opportunities really helped me to grow as a person. And maybe that's part of what my work allows me to do. I can create a space, like I said, where I'm not telling a teen what to do. And with that openness, they share things that make me think and make me go home and like, huh, what does that mean in my world? And explore. So I'm constantly learning from my teenage clients who come in the door. Mm. That's exciting. I also, yeah, I always look at kids and I go, oh, they're just our Zen masters. <laughs> you know, it's like when they do anything, you kind of look at them and go, hmm. How does that relate to me? Especially if it doesn't make me happy. It's like, why? <laughs> you know. Um, so, so when um, uh, parents are having, when, when teens start going through this uh, sort of uh, difficult time mm -hmm. and issues, um, what, what is uh, a parent's, or what do you recommend that, and how a parent should approach it, and in what way? One of the things that I really encourage, and I've done a lot of writing about this for a lot of different parenting sources, is it's important for a parent to actually stay aware and focus on how their kid is, to notice their day-to-day -day behavior. Um, a lot of times there's a, it's hard to pick the difference between what I would call just normal developmental adolescent behavior. You know, a little bit of mood swing here and there, a little bit of like, I love you, now stay away from me, that kind of stuff. Versus noticing that your kid is coming home from school and isolating in their room from the minute they come home to the minute they go to bed. Noticing things, is there a shift in the friends that they're hanging out with? Are grades altering, are they dropping? Are there conversations about I don't like or don't want to go to school anymore? That those types of signs are the moments where you have to consider, I as a parent may need to bring in a professional. I may need someone here who's going to offer me a little bit more insight and have a little bit more information and training on working with this. So it's really vital for parents to be aware of their kids, their environment, and how they are on a day-to-day -day basis. And when, when they do that, John, for example, um, I hear you know, I'm sure you hear all the time as well, you know, my child is ADD, my child is ADHD. Um, so this is the ups and downs that they get. How do you work with that? For me personally, and I'm taking this as my own personal bias, my own personal point of view on this, I believe that ADHD is one of the more overdiagnosed diagnosed things that we see in kids today. Um, it's 
used a lot as a way to kind of explain away what I would call normal kid behavior. Mm. Um, and it really has become a catch-all. Um, and I think that that is a real challenge. Um, parents see their kid kind of being, you know, a little bit frustrated with life or unfocused or agitated or too energetic. Yeah. And it's very quick these days to say, well, that must be ADHD. What do I do to take care of it? What I do with a lot of my kids who their parents are worried about that mm -hmm. is we actually use a lot of mindfulness technique techniques as a way to address some of this unfocused energy because that's how I see it in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. These are kids who have a lot of energy and a lot of thought process going on and they want to just figure out what to do with it. Mm -hmm. And by using some basic meditation techniques, some breath awareness, um, I do yoga with my kids right here. Oh, that's great. And um, we do guided imagery that by pouring that into the mix, sometimes kids become much more able to self-monitor. Yeah. And that self-monitoring, that self-awareness, like, I'm so bouncing off the walls right now. Okay, let me do that breathing thing we did. Breathing, breathing, breathing. Okay, cool. Here I am. I'm back. Now, there are cases, and I will be you know, completely straightforward about this, that absolutely ADHD as a diagnosis is absolutely right on track. And in that case, there are wonderful professionals you can connect with to focus on that. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it is about not just jumping to that as the answer, but to really looking at what's going on in the environment, what's happening with my kid, what are the pressures they're feeling, where could the anxiety be coming from, is the homework overwhelming them, is their focus drifting because they don't know the tools to concentrate, that all of that is actually part of the puzzle too, mm -hmm. rather than jumping to ADHD. Right, yeah. It is really easy, and, and I do believe a lot of people are, uh, well, they're, they're, I know here in Los Angeles that they're calming down a little bit because people are scared of the drugs now. They're seeing the side effects of the drugs from the generation before, and they're getting a little more conscious of, is that really what I want in my child? Is there something else? Is there too much sugar in the diet? And they're starting to look at things like that now, which, thank goodness. <laughs> right, thank goodness. Um, boy, I had a, a question. Um, which was uh, uh, concerning your yoga mm -hmm. and what you teach. Because as we, as I've learned in my little experience with yoga, that is not just about the physical form, but it is also about the breath work. It is also about meditation. Um, was there not a time where you actually w worked with the school systems where you brought that into the schools? I actually have worked with a couple of the private schools here in my community and done some yoga work with them, but I haven't taken it into a larger public school format. Um, I've mostly worked with it right here in my office space, working individually with kids and bringing in all those branches of yoga, both the physical practice, the um, mindfulness, the breath work, the whole idea of you know bhakti and you know um, ahimsa, nonviolence, um, looking at the pursuits of um, quiet time and intellectual study. But all of those are part of the you know, multi-passive yoga. So I do bring that in to my full scope of the work I do with the teens. Mm. Wow, I can imagine. I have another vision for all that, by the way. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I find is so fascinating is kids are hungry for it. The, the teens that I work with, occasionally you'll get the conversation, well, my mom wants me to do yoga, so I want to do yoga. So what I get to do as a therapist is say, like, well, I'm not your mom, 
Um, but I am a yoga teacher, but I have some cool stuff we can try if you want to just try it. And most of the time, kids will say, yeah, I'd love to try it. And then you do some real simple, simple, I usually start with very short meditations with them, maybe three to five minutes at most. Mm. And we start, and I ask them to give me a baseline, you know, how do you feel right now? What sensations are in your body? And then we'll do a very simple, like, breath-oriented three to five minute meditation. Mm. And then I'll ask them, and how does your body feel now? How are your emotions? How are your thoughts right now? And they'll notice the difference. And then I'll say to them, and how long do you think that was? Because they'll do it with their eyes closed. And they'll say, I don't know, like 20, 30 minutes? They're like, actually, it was only about three to five minutes. And they're stunned that by just taking a few moments like that, that they can change the entire perception of their body, their mm-hmm. thoughts, and their emotions. Well, that's wonderful. I, I know a lot of adults who can benefit from that, John. <laughs> like I said, it's so cool. I mean, they, they drink it up. They're hungry for that kind of stuff. And that leads to something that I wanted to talk a little bit about, too. You know, parents ask me a lot, well, what's the one thing you think teens are most facing today? Mm. And the question, the answer I have is actually very interesting. The answer for me is I think kids are suffering from information overload. Yes. Oh, yes. You know, before it used to be, I don't have time, punk the child in front of the television. And there was also a time where people said it was overload because of the commercials, it was about the shows. Now it's a whole nother world. Mm-hmm. It's the iPhones, it's the iPads, it's all this electronic equipment that it's easy, right? It's compactable. Mm-hmm. And you just hand it to the child. Well, and if I look back at my own like teenage years, the news at night at six o'clock, you'd kind of watch it with your parents a little bit, but it didn't really like affect you unless there was some human interest story that was fascinating or you know there was some space thing going on i was so fascinated by the space stuff when i was a kid the shuttle right Uh (laughs) Uh so all of that was there but kind of more in the background it wasn't necessarily present but these days between the computers the texting the twittering facebooking our kids today are absolutely overexposed to information Information that causes them a lot of worry and anxiety. When there are major issues in the world, I will have kids come in and talk about how that moment is affecting them right now. Mm. I didn't have those worries when I was a kid. I was mostly worried about, you know, does my friend across the street going to play after dinner? Mm -hmm. I was more worried about, you know, where are we going on vacation this year? Mm -hmm. But I have kids who come in and talk about you know, I'm worried about my family's finances. You know, I hear there's so much joblessness going on, and I'm worried that my parents might lose one of their jobs, and what's that going to do to my life? And those worries are really present for kids. You know, I hear about all this violence going on somewhere. I'm worried how it's going to affect my life. Hmm. The news is so available and so immediate for them that they're actually building stories of anxiety into their lives as kids. Now, do you think... Um, It's also generational because I know when I was growing up, a lot of that information, like the finances and all, were all hushed. It was like, this is adult conversation. The children weren't privy to it. Um, Whereas now, also the way this generation bringing up kids is they're more open. It's like, oh, well, you know, we can't afford that. I mean, we heard that, Mm -hmm. but we didn't hear it that often. And, and, you know, about work and things like that is like, oh, 
the, the number of jobs. I mean, people have struggled through the years, up and down, ebb and flows of, uh, through the decades. But right now, do you think it's just through the information that they're getting through the sources, such as uh, Twitter, Facebook, things like that? Um, or do you, do you feel that it's also the parents being more verbal about what they're doing and what is affecting them? I think it could be a combination of both. Um, parents are still very good at trying to keep a facade in front of their kids. And, you know, the thing that I think most parents don't realize is kids are actually really sensitive and they can pick it up no matter what. Mm -hmm. And that is cross-generational. It doesn't matter if you were a kid in the 20s or you're going to be a kid in 2030. It doesn't matter. Kids are much more insightful than parents assume they are. They pick up on energies. They pick up on conversations and snippets of it. And they put it together pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So for any parent to imagine that their kids don't know there's yeah. something going on, they may not know the details, but for them to imagine the kids don't know something's going on mm -hmm. is, is imagination on their part. Mm -hmm. What I'm talking about, though, is I do think this incredible access to a 24-hour news cycle mm -hmm. for teenagers and even younger, for them to have all that information flowing with them is causing a lot of anxiety and fear for them. Mm -hmm. So in, in such a case, do you feel that as a parent, um, we should be more, have, have more conversations to them about those situations that it's causing the anxiety, about work, about finances? Should we have more clear conversations with them or just send them to you? <laughs> well, I think your instincts when you're answering it, you know. It is about having an open dialogue. Understanding that kids today are maturing quicker, that they are having a world knowledge at a much faster level. And to be willing to say, you know, I saw that you were watching the news and there was this piece of information. Um, and then talking about, you know, how do you feel about that? How, how does it, you know, affect your life? Um, here's how it affects mine. To have open dialogues about it to make sure that there's a space for that conversation to exist. Um, John, you mentioned earlier about um, visualization, meditation visualization. Can you, can you explain, like articulate what that means? Because, you know, I, I believe a lot of people don't quite know. Like they'll hear it, like we hear it a lot, but what does it really entail? Like, like what are you bringing that teenager or that individual mm -hmm. in your practice? What do they go through? Well, the way that I like to work with visualization is I actually like to start with a point where I'm actually doing things such as a guided meditation with a client. Well, what we'll do is we'll take a time, we'll breathe, we'll relax the body, and then I'll actually, through my words, guide them towards a place of relaxation or discovery, depending on what we're working on. Mm -hmm. And then what I'll do in that process is we'll continue on, and then I'll invite them to start painting their own picture of where we're going. So if the visualization was, let's say we were trying to create a space of relaxation to fight anxiety, that maybe we were creating a, an image of a, of a, a beach. We could say Hawaii. <laughs> she, li she likes Hawaii. I know she likes Hawaii. Um, that they create a vision of a certain private beach that is only theirs on, on this island and what the water looks like, and what the light looks like, and is it a sandy beach, is it a beach with rocks? I'm going. 
um, you know, trees. And we build this image together. And then what I do is I encourage them in between to visit that space, to add more detail and color to it. And the next time we have a session, they come in and we talk more about, so what, what's there now? It's like, oh, I put a hammock up, you know, and I was watching and it's now a sunset. So we create these almost these oasis mm. that they can go to in their mind to help soothe the anxiety of the body, the anxiety of thoughts, and the anxiety of emotions. Mm. So, so when you work with them, this is um, this is a place that they would go when they're feeling anxiety. This is mm -hmm. so they would close their eyes or however they go there. Mm -hmm. You would recommend that they do that. Yeah, I like to call it a personal sanctuary. Um, it's, a, it's a technique that I was taught a long time ago, and I've used it my entire lifetime. For myself, I actually have two very specific imagery sanctuaries that I go to, mm -hmm. and it just kind of depends on what I need from the moment. And by providing this space, especially for teens where their world is so noisy and so active all the time, and there's lots of pressure on them, to know if they have an oasis to go to, a sanctuary, where they're the only energy that can go there. Mm. That's pretty cool. And we actually set it up particularly in that way that other people, creatures, aren't allowed to come in because we want it to be a safe space. That it's just there. It's their own quiet, quiet space where they can let their breath soften, they can let their body release, and they can let their mind float away. Okay, I'm ready to do that. I'm not. I'm not going. <laughs> yeah, can I be a teenager? Can I come work with you? <laughs> I'm going to be there. I'm going to go. <laughs> thing too that we talked about is that I don't work just with teens, but you know, my youngest right now is 13. My oldest is 73, and I use a lot of these techniques with all ages. Oh, I, I can feel it. I can feel the effect just when you were speaking about the beach and the sun, and you know, just. The water, I, I could feel my body just going, oh, yeah. Well, the big, the big joke in session is, can we just take your voice with us? Oh, <laughs> that's good. That's good. Well, you see, now we have to do something else with you now. <laughs> we can always make that happen. But it's really about tapping into the imagination. And teens have amazing imaginations. And just tapping into that and sharing with them and letting them learn how powerful their imagination can be and how to focus it and see what they want in the world and then learn steps on how to get there. Mm -hmm. Because this is another technique you can use with visualization. The idea, I actually have a workshop that I do and I do it primarily with high school seniors. And it's about envisioning a future. Oh, wow. And what's really cool about this workshop is what is the question that every high school senior gets from everybody in their world? You got it? Go for it. You know what it is. What are you going into? What are you going to be? What are you, of which college are you going into? <laughs> so Everett is asking them, what are you going to be when you grow up? And the question in my workshop is, oh gosh, no, they already start asking at three and four. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I'm looking at people going, will you stop asking my son that? <laughs> um, but what I get to do different is I ask them, how do you want to be when you grow up? Mm. And the how question is, do you want to be generous? Do you want to be loving? Do you want to be kind? Do you want to be adventurous? Beautiful. To open up this different way of looking at your future. And what we do is we actually do an exercise where they write out, using a set of questions, 
answers to this, how do I want my future to look? Mm. And they create this story scenario that then becomes their visualization, their guidance. Mm. So that the idea behind it is, when I make a choice in life, is it in sync with this visualization I've created, this future I want to exist, or is it not? And then in that moment, you can choose. I want to follow the path that's in agreement with what I want my future to be, or I can say, no, I'm going to go this way, and I'm going to deal with the consequences of it. Mm -hmm. um, it's so cool, though, because these kids are so creative, and they come up with the most amazing futures and ideas. You know, I want to be living in France and, you know, um, gardening lavender and helping local children, like, wow. sell that to the world. I mean, amazingly fun and creative stories that are so outside the box. And I think that's such a great place for teens to live. Mm. I, I personally never want to put them in a box. Yeah. I don't. Well, it, it, it's, it's giving them permission mm -hmm. to just feel, feel who they are. Connect to heart, really. Mm -hmm. Connect to who they want to be, not what the pressures are. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And there is, especially in that senior year, and that's why I specifically do this with seniors, there is that absolute You've got to know where you're going to college. You've got to know what you're doing. You've got to become a doctor, a lawyer, a judge. You've got to become those things. And I'll just tell you a cute thing. And my mom used to tell this story all the time. When I was a kid, I wanted to grow up and be a garbage man. Now, I'll tell you why. Because there's a real specific reason. So on our street, the garbage man would come by. And at that time, there was the one guy who was driving. And the guy who would stand on the back and pick up the trash right, cans and yes. toss them in. <laughs> And I always thought that they went all over the world doing that. Oh. They didn't just do my neighborhood, but this guy got to stand on the step on the back of the trash truck and fly all over the world. So I wanted to be a trash man when I grew up. <laughs> I love that. I, lo I love how a child's mind works. Oh, well, look where you are. No. <laughs> but that's also, I think, what helps me as a therapist to work with kids because I still have that part of me. Um, I'm still in touch with that kid part, that play part. You know, I have a beautiful garden outside my office space here, and we'll just go out there and run around on the lawn sometimes, or we'll do therapy under a tree, or you know, we'll go and talk to the fish in the fish pond because it's hard to tell something out loud. So instead, we're going to go tell it to the fish, and all of those things work really well with kids because their imaginations are so ripe and so playful. And mine's kind of ripe and playful too. You've known me a yeah, long time. You yeah, know, yeah, you know when my imagination starts going. Everybody better move out of the room. Well, that's why you're you're so you're such a brilliant yoga instructor too, is because you really connect with everyone who's in the room and everyone who's around you. So this is like this is like a perfect path for you. <laughs> and I love it. I do. I really love it. And I love the idea that so many of my life experiences have come together into this particular work you know, that I am able to bring the yoga work into, that I am able to bring my spiritual studies into the room, not as in like, here's what you should do and here's how you should be, but more like I've had these experiences so I can open up dialogues with these kids. Absolutely. And one thing, and I just want to put this in there, when you talk about spirituality, it's really fascinating because kids are actually very open to talking about spirituality. Um, I remember during my internship, I came in one day, we have supervision, just to you know, keep us on board and make sure us as budding therapists are doing things right. And I was talking to my supervisor and saying, you know, so cool today because one of my kids, he was talking to me about what his idea of what God is. And the whole room did what you just did. They were like, wait, a teenager was talking to you about his idea of what God is? 
And I said, he was, and I think that happens because I allow him the space to do it. And I'll ask the curious question, just like, you know, do you personally have any spiritual beliefs? What do you see as something bigger out there? Mm -hmm. And kids are willing and interesting to explore that. It's the permission. Mm -hmm. It's back to the and the trust. They trust you because it's not like you're going to skew it all to the parents later. You know, there's a there's a confidentiality that there the trust, the permission, and the play. Mm -hmm. It's so important. Now, John, this is this is uh, the subject I'd like to get into right now. It's it's still very difficult for our society, okay, to be quite honest. Which is um, when, because I get this a lot when I speak about my son, is about their sexuality, you know, gay and lesbian. Can you share with us? some points on that level. And this is actually a subject I'm really passionate about. Um, I specialize in working with gay and lesbian teens and their families during the coming out process. Mm -hmm. And the way this actually came about, I just want to start there real quick, yes, absolutely. is about three years ago, I was asked to teach a class to doctoral level people. They were going for their doctorate in education. They had worked in the field in schools for the master's degree for some of them like up to 10 to 12 years. And it was about working with gay and lesbian teens in the school environment. And I walked in all set to talk about very like advanced subject of developmental phases and things like this. And when I walked into the room, I started talking and I said, well, when you're working with LGBT teens, and you could feel the room go, what? And I suddenly realized that these people had never gotten any education on this. So we had to start at the very beginning and say lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. We had to define those. We had to look at basic tenets and concepts of kids coming out. And what that awakened in me is an understanding that even highly trained people had not received an education on how to work with this population. And so I made it my personal mission to really start getting that word out and to create a safe space where gay teens can come in, talk about what they're going through, their parents can come in and talk about what they're going through, and really know that this is a place where it's safe to talk about it and they can explore what they're thinking and what they're feeling. So what can a parent do who thinks their kid may be, you know, gay or lesbian? They can really just respect that her kid may not have the answer right now. Mm. Um, it's really hard, and I know maybe sometimes for a parent, you want to know. You want to have an answer. You want it to be black and white. But for a lot of kids, this isn't a black and white answer in the moment. Mm -hmm. Even that moment where a kid may say to a parent, I'm gay, it doesn't mean they have all the answers. Mm -hmm. It's just the beginning of a very long, ongoing process of self-discovery. Um, that word, I'm gay, is just the brave moment. Mm -hmm. So so you're dating someone, you're having sex, what are you doing? Like, I don't know, Mom. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. So it is about for parents to understand that this is an ongoing process for their teenager. And to meet them exactly where they are. If your kids describe themselves as gay, then feel free to talk in that language. Mm -hmm. 
if they talk about being bisexual, then be free to talk in that language. Mm. If they talk about, I'm confused, be willing to stay in that language. But don't feel that you have to create a black and white channel for them to walk down. That, well, they must be gay. This is what's going to happen in their life, and this is how it's going to be. They don't know. They don't know yet. Mm -hmm. So create space where they can discover and be willing to keep it open for them so you can talk about it a little bit more. Mm. Another thing that happens, especially for parents, is as even the most accepting parents who are loving and kind and think it's a beautiful process that their gay team has come out to them, also have to go through a slight grieving process of their own. Mm. And what I'm talking about is the letting go of the vision of your kid that you had. Mm. Most parents have a vision of their kids graduating, going to college, meeting someone, having their own kids, so their grandkids, a house with a white picket fence, all this stuff. What a parent has to realize is that when their kid comes out to them, that that dream may die, but they have to connect into seeing it in a different way. That they may still have grandkids, but it may come out in a totally unexpected way that they never imagined. That their child can find a partner and have love, but it may not be the vision that they had. So for parents, there is this little grieving process of letting go of the vision of who their kid was and then letting the dream build of who they are becoming as they're starting to identify as gay and lesbian. That's, that's uh, very beautiful, the way you put that. Um, and hopefully it, it will help many of you out there who might be going through this process. And when you said it was like an ongoing process, John, I mean, I can remember friends who it was a choice later in life as opposed to in their teens, mm -hmm. that they just made a choice like in their 30s and 40s that this is the direction they wanted to go. So, mm -hmm. so when you said ongoing, it sort of sparked up those experiences I had with those friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it is about being open to understanding everyone's got to go through their own way of coming out. Um, you may see some wonderful TV documentary about the coming out process, but your teen doesn't do any of those things. So they do it completely differently. Mm. You have to be okay with that. That is a point where having someone who specializes in working with gay and lesbian teens can be a really valuable process, working with someone like me or a therapist that actually specializes in this work. Mm. And to understand, to get the expertise and the knowledge that will help you your team, and the entire family to walk through this. Mm. Um, the other thing that's kind of cool, too, and I think especially if you consider, you know, what Yoga Hub addresses. This is a yogic market. We kind of tend to have open minds a little bit. Yeah. Is the idea that sexuality is also fluid, that a kid may say they're gay, but that doesn't take them all the way onto some extreme vision of gay that you may think about. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that your kid says they're straight and they're on some like hyper masculine, you know, or hyper feminine side of it. But that sexuality is fluid, that it moves, and that we don't want to lock our teens into our version of what it should look like. Mm. You know, how a girl should be, how a little boy should be. Well, which takes us, John, to preteen. Mm -hmm. Because, again, as a mother with a five-year-old, uh -huh. I see that Not happen. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But 
given another five years. <laughs> I mean, these five years have flown by. I can't imagine what the next five years is going to be like. You know, um, I believe it, it will no doubt fly by even faster. Yeah. Um, and I hear that all the time. I, it's like, well, you're a little boy. You shouldn't be doing that. You're a little girl. You shouldn't be doing that. I'm looking at people going, they're kids. Let them be. Let them play and explore. And and why shouldn't they be doing that? You know, it's like, do you have a reason why? Because little girls shouldn't do that. Well, what should they do? You know, I, I can speak because I, I used to be a tomboy growing up. I wanted to do everything my brothers did. You know, so so I see it. I hear it all the time. Um, what can we do as parents now with our young children to help them as they slowly approach? Well, I want to say slowly, but it's really very fast. <laughs> Approach these preteen years and everything. I think be aware, very aware of our own biases and agendas to realize as parents that we do have our own belief systems and to understand how they're influencing or affecting our kids and to look at them really seriously and honestly and to say, my beliefs are affecting my child positively or adversely. And if they're adversely, then we need to take a look at ourselves and see what it is we're putting out into the world. And if we want to make change so we can allow our kid to have a more powerful life. Mm. I think it's also too, very important, too, for parents to be willing to speak and defend their child. You know, I, you talk about, you know, having tomboy energy. I have kids who I know who, you know, played with dolls when they were young. Mm -hmm. It had nothing to do with them being gay. It was just their way of expressing and playing. And it's more of a parent's judgment and bias that that's gay mm -hmm. than it is actually has any meaning for the kid. And I think it's really important to look at that. I also think it's important, and this is kind of one of my like soapbox moments. Are you, are you ready for it? <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> for parents not to stand by and let other people bully or judge their children. I think it's got to be okay to say that's not okay, to stop it, to pause it. You know, right now there's so much conversation in the United States about bullying in schools. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's based on some of the issues that have happened for gay and lesbian teens who have taken their lives because they've been bullied and harassed to such an extent. But during that bullying and harassing, there were people around. There were fellow teens around. There were parents around. There were teachers around. There were staff members around. There were clergymen around. Mm -hmm. There were friends around. People saw it happening. And no one said, that's not okay. Mm -hmm. And if we can learn to step up and say it's not okay, not towards my son, not towards somebody else's daughter on the playground. You know, if someone sees, you know, a little girl being a tomboy and roughhousing with the girls, and it's like, oh, she's such a tomboy. It's like, she's just having a great time playing. To be willing to stop that language, because if we don't stop it, we're tacitly agreeing to it. Mm -hmm. We're saying it's okay. And I'm not sure if you're aware, but there's a campaign out put up by the Clever Project called If It's Better. Mm. And it's a beautiful campaign of videos that talk about how as gay and lesbian teens grow up and develop and move into their adult world, that it will get better. The bullying harassment they're going through right now isn't all that's there. Mm. And it's an amazing campaign. But for me, I take that dialogue one step farther because it doesn't just magically get better. We make it better by saying it's not okay for my kids to be harassed. It's not okay for them to be bullied. It's not okay for that language to exist in my community. And I think it's a really important thing that we, 
as adults have to take on mm-hmm. and not be willing to sit by and let happen because it's easier but to sometimes take the tougher choice and say, I don't think that language is appropriate around these kids. Mm-hmm. That's an excellent point. Thank you. I like that soapbox moment. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. And, and different um, areas, different uh, communities have a different approach, of course. And I, I agree with you. I, I think as adults, too, it is hard, depending on the etiquette and the culture you're brought up in, to say no, mm-hmm. to stand up, to voice an opinion. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it takes practice, mm-hmm. so to say. It does. And so practice in your smaller circle of friends with their children. Practice it in an environment where you feel safe until you can speak it out more loudly into the world. You see, even as an adult, we have issues with belonging and <laughs> right not being an outcast. And that's why I also have adult clients, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay, I'll be here when I'm 72. <laughs> You're welcome anytime. So, John, is there um, anything else that you might like to share with our community that that you feel we might have missed out right now? I mean, there, I mean, everything we touched upon today, we know it's a lot more. And a lot more to it, many more levels, which hopefully we will have you back and that we can really focus on to two very specific areas, you know. I mean, today we touched upon your expertise in large, so to say, <laughs> which is like so expansive and I know it keeps expanding. Um, but is there anything that you'd like to further share with our community? I guess the thing that I would just most like to encourage, not just for parents, but for any adult who's around kids teenagers, you know, the place where I'm passionate about working, they're amazing. They're absolutely brilliant, amazing, enthralling, inspiring. And don't let the discipline, the pressure, the having to earn the money, the job, the material things overwhelm your ability to just sit and be with your kids Mm. and experience them. Because as you know, and I know you as a parent, you're very around your kids. You're very present in your child's life. But so many parents miss so many of the pieces of their kids' lives because they're so really trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. How about less accomplishment, more presence, more love, more kindness? Mm-hmm. In the moment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that as a parent, you would regret if all of a sudden your kid's moving away to college and you realize, I've missed most of their life. And I would encourage that no parent should miss their child's life. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> you don't want to stop. I don't want to stop. This I can go on. You know I can go on with you on and on and on because I'm like a kid in a candy store. Yeah. You know, what? one more. You know, I've got so many questions and... But I do know that we have to just bring you back and, and have uh, a, another amazing time with you and really focus on to your passions. I, I would really love to see what you do enter the school systems, mm-hmm. really, not just for the kids and the teens, but for the teachers, for the counselors, as you say, you know, who are in the educational system. I believe that if they are more aware and connect, it because they spend eight hours of the day with our children, blessed be. I mean, I, that's amazing. Yeah. I, I, I just so honor the teachers that are out there because they, that's, 
25 kids in one room all day. And we, as parents, are dealing with one or two for four or five hours of the day. Come on, you know, give them a piece of you know, credit here. You know, that if, if they are also, you know, have sessions with individuals like you, I, I, I believe they, they make a huge change in our educational system. Well, and all of the, you know, school personnel that I've worked with are passionate and hungry for this. Um, they're amazing people. They're committed to being with these kids. You're right. They get to spend eight hours a day with them. And all of them that I've worked with to this point have all been just thirsty for this knowledge and willing and able to look at it on a very deep personal level as to how they can be more present and available for the kids they work with. Mm. We're just going to have to get you out on a whole other level now, Jack. <laughs> thank you so much. Absolutely. And thank you, everyone, for joining us here today on YHTV's Trinity of Life. Um, be sure to catch us live um, every Tuesday at 10.30 Pacific Standard Time, 1.30 Eastern Time, for our magical medical tour with my wonderful co-host, Dr. Glenn Woolman. And of course, live here on YHTV for Trinity of Life at 11 a.m. Wednesdays and 2 p.m. Eastern Time. And of course, uh, if we can support you as our community in any way, shape, or form, please contact us. Let us know. Let us know the subjects that you would like to hear about. Let us know the guests that you would like us to bring on, and we will do our best to do that. But until then, we love to thank our wonderful experts, such as our dear John Sovic here, and the many experts that have honored us and for you for your continuous support. Thank you.